Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NILA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the Board of Directors of NILA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer. We are your hosts. I'm Max Barrick. And I'm Amit Bindra. And today we're really excited because we've got another nonprofit attorney in Neela's Bar that we're really excited to talk to. This is Elizabeth Ricks. Elizabeth is the legal director and staff attorney for the Chicago House and Social Service Agency and the Trans Life Care Program, which she's going to tell us all about. Elizabeth represents employees in discrimination, harassment, and termination matters. Elizabeth also works with individuals one-on-one in gender marker change procedures. Prior to working at Chicago House, Elizabeth briefly worked in private practice where she also represented employees. Elizabeth has also worked with the Transformative Justice Law Project where she wrote a shadow report for the Committee Against Torture on Police Brutality Against Transgender Women. Elizabeth received her bachelor's degree from Loyola University, Chicago, received her master's degree from Roosevelt University, and her JD from DePaul University College of Law. Amit, thank you for writing this in a in an accessible and easier to read way today and not deliberately trying to trip me up with verbosity. I got to break it up just to keep you on your toes. Thank you. Elizabeth, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting for Amit and I. Your organization is not quite like anybody we've, or the organization you work with, I guess I should say, puts you in sort of a different category than anybody else we've interviewed yet. Can you talk a little bit about the Chicago House and the work you do there? Sure. So Chicago House started in 1985 as a HIV AIDS org providing hospice care for people dying of AIDS. And since then it's expanded and thankfully now today, like most people are living with AIDS and not dying from them and needing hospice care as much. So we have a lot of different programs. We provide housing in our own buildings and then also linking people to housing. We do uh, rapid result STI testing, AIDS testing. And then we also have the trans life care program. So that's a collaborative care model where we provide a variety of different services in the same location to transgender expansive people with the idea that if you can access employment services, housing, legal, medical, all in one place, people are more likely to stay in care and get actually get the services they need instead of having to try and traverse all over the city, keep you know multiple appointments. And the model has worked. So they started in 2013 and I came into the organization in 2017. So we do direct services. It's myself and a paralegal who I, the program would not function without uh, our paralegal Toya. And we do employment matters, like you mentioned, and then also public benefits and name changes, criminal record sealing and expungement, and a little bit of criminal defense. So it's sort of a bit of a generalist practice and sort of a more of a small town feel. A lot of our clients may come for a name change and then they have an issue at work a year later and get back in touch with us. And it provides space for folks to get legal services where they don't have to explain why the name they go by might not be on their ID. So it's not all gender focused. It's just providing services exclusively for a community that traditionally is marginalized, even within like legal services. And then we also do policy advocacy, mostly at the state level, on issues that impact the community. So can you 
I feel like Amit and I are, are reasonably well informed on this topic. I, I've got a transgender relative, so I, I, I didn't know really any of this stuff a long time ago and, and learned, I was lucky enough to have that opportunity to learn because I have somebody in my life who identifies as trans. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, something you just said was how even within the LGBTQ community, this is a community sort of within that community that is even more marginalized than most. Can you talk about why transgender rights and transgender advocacy is so important and why that community, even within a marginalized community, is in a special kind of category there? Right. I mean, I think so. I think the movement and rights for trans and gender expansive people is important because people deserve to exist as they are. And we live in a society that was, you know, we live under laws that are created by cisgender people with a cisgender perspective. And so we live in this very restricted society that has forgotten about folks. And it used to be very, it's still dangerous to come out and be your authentic self if you're trans or gender expansive, meaning the sex assigned to you at birth does not match your intrinsic sense of who you are. But, you know, we just, we have a lot of catching up to do because we've created a society that really otherizes anyone outside of the gender binary. And even within the LGBT community, LGB folks who can be also be trans, which I think gets left out of the conversation a lot of the time, just the community just tends to leave trans folks behind and and there can be transphobia within community. And there's also a lot of like white supremacy models in LGBT spaces, particularly I have experienced in gay male spaces. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lesbian movement against trans women who feel that if trans women are included, somehow cisgender women lose rights. So there's a lot of conflict and it's just, there's sort of this like phrase in community of like, what about the T? T, T and also Bs, bisexuals, which I am a queer person also use the phrase like descriptor bisexual for myself, kind of get left out of resources and conversation and protection and sort of highlighting importance of rights. And I think that is shifting, thankfully. But when I was in law school, I wanted to do something in LGBT space and realized, oh, all of the money and time is going to marriage, which was really important. I'm not saying it wasn't. I worked on marriage case and winning that felt great. but my friends were getting thrown out of bars and for using the bathroom and getting attacked on the street and getting fired from jobs. And I just wasn't seeing the same level of like homophobia as I was in my social circles of what was happening to my trans friends, which is why I decided to focus on trans rights. Also um, just very invested in gender justice. And the basis of transphobia really all goes back to sort of misogynist ideals. So Elizabeth, I think you mentioned earlier the Trans Life Care Program started in 2013. So prior to that, what resources were available for folks? In Chicago, Howard Brown and Center on Halstead have a long legacy of providing health care services and other social services. They're the Transformative Justice Law Project, who I was a volunteer staff attorney with them from 2009 to 2015. They provide name change assistance. They've done over... I think over 1,500 name changes between 2010 and now. And so that service existed. And we also worked on some employment cases and we we just, we had no funding. <laughs> it was, I mean, when you talk about grassroots, it was deeply grassroots. And so we could only take on so much. We did like an immigration case here and there, but it was a lot of 
just trying to be exist to hear people what people needed but there wasn't anything ex- like any broad range of ex- legal services exclusively for this community until the trans legal program got started in 2013 and it was started by the same person who started TJLP and so you mentioned that you noticed a shift have you noticed a big mm-hmm. shift since 2013 or Kind of walk us through that too. Um, I don't know if it's as much from 2013, but when I think about law school, which was for me 06 to 09, and now it's in a lot of ways it has shifted in a very positive way. I think people are just talking about it more and more people are feeling safe about coming out. And that means more, you know, more trans people in decision-making positions in places of power, being able to slowly chip away at the system that we have of, and I say this as a cis person, of cis people making decisions for trans people as if our, as if we have a right to do that. You know, a lot of the conversations around healthcare and access to public facilities are just cis people talking at other cis people as if we have any right to determine who someone is. I mean, it's just when you like kind of pan out and look at it, it's, it's just so illogical that one person can say, I know who you are better than you do. And I, so I think more people coming out, I mean, there's a trans bar association now that did not exist (laughs) in 2013, definitely not in 2008. So I think that that shift is really significant. And I hope that it continues. We, I mean, we only have three openly trans judges in the United States. So when you think about that, Judge Quinn is the first in Illinois. And when she sits on the bench, she shares what her pronouns are, makes it comfortable for other people to share their pronouns, which I can tell you is huge because everybody uses pronouns and it's good to just know which pronouns people are comfortable with. But I, I, you know, I haven't seen any cisgender judges asking that question or making that and, and not out of any sort of transphobia. It's just as people don't think about their pronouns. So we have a long way to go, but I think some of these, there are positive changes happening. Well, I think that brings up a good point too. And I'm sure I'm, I know I'm still guilty of it, of just making it easier for other people to feel comfortable. You know, like we all should be doing a better job from like a pronoun standpoint, other things just to make it easier for other attorneys, especially right now. I mean, we're all on Zoom. So this is a very easy time for judges, advocates, et cetera, to be doing stuff like that, to make it a more accessible space. Yeah. Do you feel like, do you feel like there being some high profile celebrity transgender individuals coming out as such like Elliot Page, who, you know, is a successful, has he won an Oscar? I, I always forget. Or have they, Maybe I Maybe nominated. I, just... I uh, no, he, I think Elliot uses he, him pronouns. Okay. Well, thank you for catching that. We should maybe Google that, but I'm fairly, <laughs> I'm fairly certain it might be he and they. Okay. Yeah. Can you, so this may seem like a dumb question, but I'm going to assume, I don't want to make any assumptions. Can you sort of explain, I think just for the audience on the off chance, somebody's not really terribly familiar with this, why the pronouns matter and why, why things that maybe cisgender folks don't, don't think about or take for granted, or just, it doesn't even occur to you because it's such a no brainer, why that stuff is so dangerous or so important for transgender folks? Yeah, I mean, so I think the biggest thing I wish more cis people would think about is that we all have a gender and we all have pronouns that we use. It's just 
if your intrinsic sense of who you are correlates with the sex that was assigned to you at birth, you don't really think about it that much on the surface. I mean, when I think about though, I very much identify as a woman and as a, a femme woman, that I think I would be the same regardless of my sex assigned at birth. Like that doesn't, doesn't attach to secondary sex characteristics for me. I mean, I knew that when I was a kid and no one asked me how I knew, I just did. And we, but we ask trans children all the time, how could you possibly know who you are? But I think, and I mean no disrespect to the two of you, but I think if you take a cisgender man and use female pronouns for him, a lot of them are not going to like that very much, right? Like, I'm not a woman and they're deeply offended. So we just need to be conscious of that with everyone. And if misgendering trans people can also just put them in, you know, harm's way, there's an extreme amount of violence against trans people when they're outed. But it's also just misgendering someone as a way of saying, I genuinely just don't care about who you are or your sense of who you are. I know better than you. And that's not how we should be treating each other. And because cisgender people, like we generally, people get our pronouns right, although not all the time, right, for gender fluid folks or just people who don't adhere to masculine, feminine stereotypes. But we don't, we don't face the same level of violence all the time. I think there is some conversation to be had around homophobia and particularly around butch women, the way that pronouns can impact that. But it's just, I mean, it's just sort of common sense to just acknowledge who people are as they as they come to the table what I don't know if that answered your question <laughs> I sort of rambling sorry no oh, you were great. great that was a good answer and to go back to your point from earlier when do you recall the pronoun discussion even starting to me it seems pretty recent and that in of itself seems very problematic like this should have been something we're all grown up with in terms of making it more accessible for everyone I guess, I mean, I'm in a queer bubble and I, the queer spaces I was in as a younger person were queer spaces. They weren't, there was all different kinds of folks and it was more, and it was very heavily activist. And we certainly got a lot of things wrong when I think about the names of music festivals we had and how exclusionary they were. But I, I don't remember when the pronoun conversation started in sort of bigger Spaces of society, just because I feel like I've been having it since college. But I do think it's, I, I am heartened to see that, you know, small, like places where I know that everyone there is either cisgender or not out as being trans, and they still have pronouns in their e- like email signatures. Because that's also the, I think, I think a lot of businesses do is we'll just wait until we have a trans employee. Well, one, you don't know if you have a trans employee. You could have someone who wants to come out and doesn't feel like their job will be safe. But two, what message are you sending to people who are trans and who are applying there? And three, pronouns are not exclusive to trans and gender expansive people. We all have them. You know, I have a relative who has, he's a cis guy with a traditionally feminized name. And he said he was starting to understand more why I do this work and also just experiences of other people because people always assume that he's a woman and he does get treated a little differently sometimes in emails and then he gets on the phone and they're like, wait, who are you? I, this isn't who I thought I would be getting. And he said, people just don't, don't know who I am. They don't know what's going on. And you know, that's sort of an example of, if we could just like, also sometimes names are what we code as gender neutral. It's just good to have all the information out for everybody. And I think people are starting to see that and that it's not like this special ask from marginalized people. It's just part of being human being. Well, I feel like 
a lot of the complaints you hear as look as society moves forward ideally and hopefully in the good direction right and we become more inclusive though just look at the legislative docket in any state right now and we're going to talk about that it's you know mm -hmm. i don't think it's progress is never linear right mm -hmm. but like of all the objections and things the hills to die on the things to get upset over like asking somebody their pronouns takes literally a second costs you nothing and is a little thing you can do that will make a huge difference, right? In another person's sense of worth and trust in you as a human right. being, right? Yeah. And it, it shouldn't be a, it should not have to be a fight. Like that shouldn't have to be, can you please ask them their pronouns? Shouldn't have to be a hill to die. No, or this. offering your own. I mean, I try to do that in, in any kind of meeting space that I'm in, if we're doing like round robin intros, just saying your own pronouns, one, so that people know what my pronouns are and two, it makes it, I think, easier for everyone to say it and then we're all on the same page. And I think people who believe that they are in a cis only space still need to do it. And it doesn't take very long. It's really just not a huge ask, but I mean, I guess maybe we'll get to them. My employer feedback for employers in a bit, but it's a real issue in workplaces that I have some thoughts on. Well, that's a good segue into the legislative stuff. I know that stuff's not strictly employment or it's not employment, strictly speaking, but it, it, it all relates and it's important. So can you, you know, you described early on that a lot of your work is advocacy and legislative. And I don't know if this was part of the recording or not, but you described your most recent uh, period of time as being in legislative hell. So can you, you want to talk to us a little bit about some of the legislative work you're doing, some bills that are coming up the pipe and yeah. Yeah. So two bills I'll sort of quickly touch on and then get to my, to my big bill. But in partnership with the Cook County Clerk's Office and Equality Illinois, we have a suite of marriage certificate amendment bills. So with the Cook County Clerk's Office, that bill allows people to change bride to groom or groom to bride or either to spouse on a marriage certificate. And that is out of both chambers, just waiting for the governor to sign it. We are now the second state in the country to allow that. And that came to me through a client who wanted to change bride on his marriage certificate to groom or spouse. And he's, he has his citizenship through his husband, but it came to, we've been working on this for three years and it became an, a second issue for him recently because his husband changed jobs and they presented all their paperwork to do health insurance. And the employer said, well, your marriage certificate doesn't match everything else. Your marriage certificate says bride, it has a different name on it. I don't know if we can accept this. It caused a lot of you know, HR bureaucratic headaches. And so I'm very excited for him to be able to get his new marriage certificate in 2022. And then with Equality Illinois, Chicago House has initiative, a separate bill to allow name changes on marriage certificates. And that really is just streamlining. You can change your name on pretty much any document with a name change order. And we just want to add marriage certificates to that list. We got a lot of questions about that during COVID about what if something happens to me or my spouse, and then we're in this the thick of an emergency and something proving we're married doesn't match every other piece of documentation that we have. So those, those are um, exciting. I think the name change marriage certificate bill goes to committee next week. I'm um, optimistic it will get out of committee and pass floor vote. And then, well, I'll, that's also a second state in the country. California is the only state right now that allows these kinds of amendments. How much of a fight or how much time did it take to get this even to committee? They, this is the first year they were introduced. Well, we introduced them in 2020 and then COVID happened and nothing was going on really besides budget and COVID bills. So I, this was the first shot, got out of committee, got to floor vote. I mean, it's been knock wood, 
pretty smooth sailing. People, and it's been bipartisan, people understand why this is important. One of our sponsors, Rep Williams said, you know, I've seen other people deal like two cisgender people who've been married and one passes away. And I know what a headache it is to deal with all of that without having to explain why your one document that proves you're married doesn't match everything else. So people really get why this is important. And we thankfully um, haven't had much pushback. And it's been Senator Feigenholz was our Senate sponsor. And she and Rep Williams did incredible jobs of doing uh, advocacy and getting these through. So we've been lucky that those, those were the easy ones this session. So we have also in partnership with ACLU of Illinois, uh, TJLP and Chicago Bar Association slash foundation, a big bill that really reworks our name change law. Illinois has the second most conservative name change law in the country. If you compare all the factors right now, if you have a felony conviction, you can't change your name for 10 years from the last date of your last sentence. If you have an identity theft conviction, you can never change your name. If you're on a registry, you can't even ask the court to decide if you can change your name. In fact, even applying is a felony. Like submitting a petition for a legal name change is a class four felony if you're on a registry, which is not in line with the rest of the country, not even close. And then there's some procedural elements that, that we want to change as well. But those are that's sort of the meat of why we're doing, trying to get things amended. So we want to remove that 10-year ban. And we want to remove the identity theft ban. And then we want to create carve outs for folks who are in registries to at least get in front of a judge and say, you know, I want to change my name either because of religion or I got married, but my spouse and I are combining our last names or you're a survivor of human trafficking. So those folks sometimes end up on registries because of the actions of their trafficker and then for gender identity related reasons. And the state's attorney's office can object if they feel like it's not appropriate. It can have a full hearing on it, but we wanna at least have people that have the opportunity to have their day in court because not everyone is on a registry for the same reasons. And we think it deserves a conversation. And because we see, you know, I specifically obviously work with trans people but it impacts anyone who wants a name change. But for the for trans folks, it's it becomes a barrier to education, housing, medical care, employment. Employers tend to get very stuck on what they think the laws are. <laughs> and so if you have to have a legal name on a W-2, that then sometimes translates into them thinking, well, that name has to be on a name tag then. Like it has to be the name on the schedule. It has to be the name on this receipt that you'll be printing out and handing to everyone who comes through your checkout line. And it's just not safe for folks. Hey, this is Ahmed and Max. Thanks for listening to Employee to Lawyer. I hope you're all enjoying the show and the content and all of our guest stories. And we'd love your help in spreading news about Neil Illinois and the show. Please encourage your friends and family to subscribe and share. And if you happen to listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a nice review. But only if it's going to be a five-star rating. Yeah, otherwise we're all set. Or, or, you know, that's the excuse they lean on, right? To be like, sorry, right. can't help. Wish I could do something, but my hands are tied. You have to wear this stupid name tag that has no yeah. real meaning of any kind. You know, it's just. Right. It's and which, of course, then they then they get a call that they don't like <laughs> from me trying to help them rework their employment policies. So that bill got out of uh, House with bipartisan support. Representative Cassidy's our House sponsor, and it's now in the Senate. Senator Peters is sponsoring it in the Senate. 
and it's we're waiting for it to get assigned to a committee. So this may be a longer fight than we anticipated, but we still have 10 days left in the session. So anything can happen. Do you, has there been any organized opposition that you've had to encounter from this? Because I, like, I remember when marriage mm-hmm. equality, like, it's funny you mentioned marriage earlier, because I do remember 2010's elections were challenging for some of us. And it's not a political podcast, but I'll just say that much. And, but I do remember quietly the Illinois legislature did pass, I think it was, I don't think it was full marriage equality in 2010. I think With it, civil unions. Yeah. You would obviously know this, you, you would know it very well. And but I remember that, and I do remember most of the opposition. There was some organized opposition, right? And it was mostly religious, but like, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'd be curious who, other than maybe religious groups or just people's parroting really outmoded and bigoted arguments, I don't know who's lining up to fight this. No one. We're really lucky. There's been no, I mean, a lot of groups are neutral and not in support, but neutral is better than opposition. And I mean, some people will file witness slips in opposition from very extreme right-wing religious groups who just wait for anything with the word gender identity in it and then file opposition. But there's been no uh, substantial organized opposition. I mean, really what what I think people don't understand is how registries work and that people can sort of start going by a different name informally in different ways right and that's I guess would be a way to the the sort of bad actor everyone imagines is oh someone on the sex offender registry is going to change their name and then they will be untrackable and they will go on to harm more people and the people they've harmed will have no idea where they are but if you're going in front of a court with a bunch of paperwork saying here I am this is where who I am this is what I need I will then be filing this with the registry just like if I move and both names go on the registry People are very easily traced and tracked, especially if you are asking the court to send your name change order to update your criminal history transcript. It actually creates, because if someone gets married who's on a registry and they do what married folks do, where you take your marriage certificate to the bank because you're taking your spouse's last name and everything gets changed, you can still do that. And no one would really know, right? But so this is actually safer than sort of how things have been, but people hear those words and it's just it's a knee-jerk reaction yeah it seems this is almost more necessary because businesses are less likely or won't agree to use the informal name or the new name that people want to use because it's not quote-unquote legal which then requires legislative action i guess one question that i have is if it's bipartisan and there's no robust opposition what would prevent it from getting out of committee well, I think if we can get into it, into a committee, I think it will get out of committee and go to the floor because once we explain the mechanics of how it works, people, their blood pressure comes down. Once we explain that we have also, you know, filed amendments to the registration acts requiring them to be updated. Once we can explain how much of an outlier this is from the rest of the country, there's a lot of bills sitting in assignments right now because we ha- didn't have any real legislature last year. And so there's a lot of legislation. I think people are being perhaps overly cautious at times. We have a strong centrist block in the Illinois Senate. And I think there's just a lot going on trying to get a budget passed, you know, trying to deal with mapping issues. And so while this bill is is literally a matter of life or death for some folks, other people I think don't understand maybe the magnitude. So but once once you can get and you can't go in in-person lobby really like we can't take two carfuls of people who are impacted and 
run around through the, you know, the building. So it's just hoping people will text you back, call you back, email you back. And they're getting it from everyone. <laughs> like every lobbyist is trying to get their bill passed. And so it's just like, oh, too much, I think, sometimes for some legislators. So legislators. So it's not really an issue of opposition. It's just an issue of getting it. People understanding the importance of it and, and it moving. I think the good the good news, I guess, such as it is, is I like we our legislative committee for NILA had a couple of bills that were kind of in theory moving along last year and then COVID hit and it was sort of like, yeah, guys, I don't know what to tell you. It's, you know, got bigger fish here. And I like I get it, you know, that those weren't necessarily immediately urgent. We've been very lucky that the stuff we had people we hadn't even really thought of it. We were going to go back to them and they kind of picked it up on their own and said, oh, we didn't forget about it. So, you know, the hope is maybe whoever's carrying these bills, you know, if we're lucky, things will go through. And if not, you know, at least nobody's going to forget about it. Right. So. Yeah. And since it's already gotten, so it's a two year session, so it's already gotten through the house. If we can't get it through the Senate before May 31st, there's always a chance we could bring it back during veto session. And if not in veto session, then when session starts next year and just pick it up from assignments in the Senate and hopefully get it into committee and out of the Senate quickly and get it signed into law. People have been waiting for this. I have a long list of people I've turned away for name changes. And, and I've been turning away people for name changes for this for a long time. And the devastation is consistent. People are, are crushed. And there's a lot of questions of, well, I did my, I, I did my time. I did my sentence why am I being punished for another 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Elizabeth, thank you for all the hard work you're doing on this and everything else. Amit, do you want to do your favorite segment? Yeah, we have a, a little bit we do at the end of these things. So, and I think you'll be great for this. At the end great. of each episode, we like to ask for a shout out of the week. It can be, you know, pretty much anything. It can be a person, it can be an organization, it can be a TV show that you like. We had someone shout out their, their son. We've had book i believe as well jason um, may have done his cat i can't remember yeah i don't remember so any shout out you want to do someone you want to support and kind of pick up we deliberately oh sprung the, we deliberately sprung this on you this is the one thing we yeah. spring. Yes. Oh, there's so many people that i feel like deserve i i know what i want to give a shout out to is toya crow the paralegal for our program they are tremendous i've never given them a project where they don't knock it out of the park they can do all kinds of things that I don't know how to do on the computer, which is really helpful, but they also have an ability to build rapport quickly with clients and clients consistently tell me how seen they feel by Toya, how supported they feel. And most of our clients are in either current trauma crisis or have past trauma that can uh, sometimes be triggered. And Toya does a great job of navigating what people need in terms of practical what can we do legally for you but also what they need in order to feel safe even just talking to us and they are they're just great i can't say enough good things about them so that's my shout out that's, that's awesome. wonderful elizabeth if somebody wants to find you how would they do that whether for legal advice to get a hold of your organization or you know just a chat sure <laughs> just just move home house just because just to hang out so they can go to our website chicagohouse.org and all my contact info is there and also descriptions of our all of our programs and services well, thank you again for joining us today and for all the wonderful work that your organization does and advocacy on behalf of people who are marginalized and very much need the, need need somebody standing up for them. So it's good we have good lawyers like you doing that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share. 
Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host opinions. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.